So many of you know that I'm a longtime Skechers fan. I've been doing work with them, print and commercials, for a long time now. And I just want to take a moment to thank the brand for supporting my Naked Mom podcast. As a working mom with a busy schedule, I'm always looking for shoes that can give me more style and comfort. But lately, I'm totally obsessed with the Skechers Delights. That's the commercial that's running right now, and and they have so many fun colors and designs. And I gotta tell you, the comfort is unreal. They literally make you taller. There's actually a, a tiny little hidden heel built in, and you don't even feel it because the memory foam cushioning is so comfortable. So I just want to say thanks again to Skechers for supporting my show and for making great styles that we all love to wear. everybody, it's Brooke Burke, and you're listening to the Naked Mom Pod. I'm so happy that you're joining me. Happy summer, everyone. I'm so excited that summer's finally here, and I've actually spent the last month just purging, cleaning my house, doing deep cleaning, getting rid of all the junk. If you listen to last week's episode... I really took Marilyn Lee's advice to heart and I threw away all my old beauty products. Then I went through the kids' closets and I gifted and donated and trashed and just organized my entire house. It feels so good to do that. Um, I've also been packing for all of the kids because we're getting ready to go on a three-week summer vacation. I've never done that in my life. I've never had this amount of time off from work. And we're going to go visit David's family in the south of France. So super, super excited. And after I went through this major, 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 I don't even want to call it spring cleaning, more like a deep summer cleanse, I looked like a hot mess. So I had to go in for a beauty day and I found this amazing place in Beverly Hills called the Roxbury Institute. And today we're going to continue our beauty conversation. This is Beauty Deconstructed Part Two, and it actually takes place at the Roxbury Institute in Beverly Hills. So I'm going to talk about beauty from another angle with some people who have a completely different and unique perspective on the issue of cosmetic surgery. We're also going to talk about a lot of non-invasive procedures that are available. And I'm always interested in what's going on and what we can do to make ourselves look refreshed. Um, I always try to go for a natural approach, but I think as we get older, there's little tips and tricks and things that we can do to our skin. So I love learning about new procedures, and they do a lot of non-invasive as well as cosmetic procedures at the Roxbury Institute. So we're going to hear from Dr. Jamie Schwartz, who's a surgical specialist. He's a board-certified cosmetic surgeon. And we're also going to hear from the founder of the Roxbury Institute, Dr. David Amron. Such a fascinating conversation that I had with both of these very talented doctors. And... We're also going to hear from Chelsea Hagopian, who's a nurse practitioner. And I met with Chelsea. I actually went in to do a really fascinating procedure with her after I did this interview. So going back, back in time a little bit, you'll hear the interview. But I have to tell you about this vampire facial that I just did, which sounded so strange and weird and a little bit creepy to me. But It was super cool. I went in to see Chelsea, and you're going to hear my story when you listen to her interview at the end of this podcast, but I went in to the office thinking I needed a little bit more. She talked me out of it, and what she wanted to do was kind of plump up and tighten my skin naturally with the right products and to do a procedure on my skin that would just 
improve the overall appearance. So I did um, a laser treatment, and I also did this vampire facial where she took my blood, she spun my blood, separated the healthy part of my blood, the platelets, and did this vampire procedure with these 12 little needles all over my face. I wish you could see it because it's really difficult to describe it, but then she put the healthy part of my blood back into my face. I know this sounds <laughs> completely morbid and bizarre. That's why they call it the vampire facial, but it was actually amazing. So call me an experiment. Um, but anyway, I'm really excited to share some of this information with you. There's a lot of practical information and a lot about the decision-making process of why people do what they do, or why they don't do what they do. So have a listen. Here's my interview with Dr. David Amron. So joining us now is Dr. David Amron, and I'm so excited to speak to you and get a full understanding of this concept, because what's happening here at the Roxbury Institute is quite innovative and different, and you you founded this institute, correct? I did, Brooke. Um, you know, I've been in Beverly Hills for about uh, 20 years now. I've been in practice, and I've seen a lot of a lot of trends over the years. And and I guess that this this institute really came out of uh, kind of a dissatisfaction with where I see the the this sort of industry going. Um, you know, to me, things are moving a little more away from just good doctoring and patient care, and becoming more about. Uh, a commodity, mm-hmm. you know, with with specials and price driven things, and and people reading about something and the next greatest thing. And I kind of want to get back to good old fashioned doctoring, and that's really what started this whole vision of the institute. And it's not- really refreshing to hear you say that because I do feel like there are certain things that are trending, and procedures and cosmetic surgery and maintenance, and uh, it, it's it's so much more accepted now than it was over a decade ago. Um, but it's it's kind of exploding, and I'm not sure that people are doing the research that needs to be done and are fully aware of the pros and cons of, of, of a lot of procedures. You know, I, I, I agree a lot about what you said. Um, you know, what goes on is that, I mean, the media, you know, does play a role in it too. You know, they do kind of feed into it because they always want to know what's the latest, greatest thing, what's mm-hmm. new that people are doing. And it's not what good uh, good medicine is really about. It's getting back to the basics of things in terms of of guidance and education and people learning about things. And that's again where, you know, even you know, websites out there offer all these promotions for things. I mean, from Botox to laser stuff mm-hmm. to even surgery. And to me, it's kind of a crazy concept that somebody would choose a surgeon based on some promotion or special without having really done the research first. And so, why, why do you think that is? Because I, I we, we do know that generally speaking, it's very difficult to be educated about, uh, you know, in this area. And, um, you know, women are desperate to get the results and to make certain changes without taking the time and fully understanding that the decision-making process is as important, if not more important, than the procedure itself. Well, that's really true. I mean, I think that, you know, there's this... I think that we're in a little bit more of a quick fix type of society, mm-hmm. you know, immediate gratification, getting meet, needs met. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff in the aesthetic uh, field has turned into a commodity, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the companies also add to it. Um, you know, they come with some new thing, they market it, the media grabs a hold of it, they represent it, the doctors get on board with some new technology, mm-hmm. comes the latest fad until the next thing comes about. 
And that's really what the basis of, of my dissatisfaction really is in terms of where I see the industry going. You know, I come from a, a time when doctors never marketed advertised. Right. And things are changed. You know, okay, yes. now except we you know we advertise the market, but you know, try to do it in a sophisticated way. Try to do it with a, a message there, not just some promotional thing. So that's one part of it. Second part of it is is trying to be much more comprehensive about the care of the patient. And, um, you know, when a patient comes to us here at this at the Institute, and, I, and it is an Institute, it's mm-hmm. not just a smaller private practice, you know, and I'm trying to get back to a little bit what we all came from, where doctors, you know, had specializations, we worked together, we, we conferred about a patient together, we come with a treatment plan mm-hmm. based on many different things, and then we execute the treatment plan. And that's what this is really based on. I mean, here you've got a larger place, it, it is an Institute, mm-hmm. it's made up of eight or nine different doctors and specialists in different areas. We'll talk to Dr. Jamie Schwartz, the director of plastic surgery. There's mm-hmm. another director of facial plastic surgery, director of dermatology. So you've got specialization in each area. And when a person comes in here, it's really more of a comprehensive approach to the patient. But not only from the aesthetic area, we're expanding and developing an anti-aging center and a regenerative medicine center with stem cell therapy too. So we have a naturopathic physician here. So again, it's much more about the comprehensive care of the patient. And, and before we actually start doing things, there is more of an evaluation that goes mm-hmm. on and more of a treatment plan that's put in place. And it's not just about you know trying to sell people and do more and more, but it's mm-hmm. really about targeted care. And if you really think about it, before a dollar is spent, that's what should go on. It's sort of like, you know, one of the analogies I use is, is investing money. If let's say you have a whole bunch of money to invest and you go to a person who's a financial planner, you know, they're not just going to push you to buy one mm-hmm. mutual fund. Are you going to go and say, no, I want that mutual fund because somebody else bought it. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at your profile, understand you, and come up with a comprehensive plan. And that's what this is all about, too. Mm-hmm. I'm comp- so glad you broke it down that way because I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between a private practice and what your vision is here at the Institute. And it really is about getting educated. And so, so talk me through what a person... A person comes in for a consult. Maybe a woman comes in uh, with an idea in her mind that she may need fillers. And Mm -hmm. before she leaves here, she's going to have met with several people, experts in field, Mm -hmm. and have a full uh, understanding of what might be best for her and maybe even discover some possibilities that she wasn't even thinking of and quite possibly maybe decide not to go forward with some ideas that were in her mind. I mean, again, I think that's very well put. Um, yeah, it's it's about that she may people usually come in with some concept of what they may want to do. Um, and so to begin with, you know, what we do here is there's an orientation to the institute. Um, it, it's about establishing a long term relationship. They meet with a concierge type of uh, individual who does an orientation in terms of our philosophy here, in terms of comprehensive care, and a, an introduction to the gamut of services that we offer here and the different specializations that we mm-hmm. have here. Um, even before they see the provider and doctor. So it's already starting to get in their mind that this is something that we take seriously in terms of long-term care. Um, but once they see the provider, okay, let's say they're seeing me and the person I do, my practice personally is, lo- is focused on specialty liposuction and I do a lot of um, non-invasive stuff on the face. Um, so say they, say they're going to come into me for an evaluation for their face. Typically people are going to come in and say, I want to do this, I want to do that. I, I really... Personally, prefer not to hear what they want to do. Um, I want to take the be time. Very difficult to manage. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's amazing how people do respond to it if you do it the right way. Good. You know, I'm, happy I mean, I'm to not going to say, you know, listen, I don't want to hear what you're going to say at all. Um, I, I ask for the permission if I can talk about my philosophy of how I look at the face, for example, and how I categorize change in the face mm-hmm. and how I form an overall treatment plan 
um, based on that that is individual to that person. And and so then what I do is I let's say for the face for example, I'll go through the different areas of change that take place mm-hmm. over time. Um, and Chelsea might talk about this also because she does a lot of the non-invasive stuff on the face too. And it's a treatment plan program that I've uh, come up with, and now we're instituting at the institute. Instituting at the institute. <laughs> exactly. um, but do you find you know, that most people can comprehend that? You know, they really do, and I think that they 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 really. Uh, they they do comprehend it, and I break it into a very understandable way for them to comprehend. And they they really thank me for that because they've mm-hmm. never been explained that. It's usually they just come in, they ask for something, they get what they ask for, Absolutely. which is really I think that's really, very rare and unique. And I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to uh, just go in um, and just ask for something because usually you're going to get what you ask for. Mm-hmm. It's almost like hiring a designer for your house, a, a top designer who's world class to have them come to your house to to get their idea about a direction to take the house mm-hmm. and they walk in the door and you start telling them you know what I want to do this to this room I want to do this to this room I want to paint this room red I want to remove and put beams over here I think it's kind of good to listen what that person has Absolutely. to say first I would like the designer to come and look at the skeleton and, of my home and the bones yeah. and I would like to better understand the potential of that space and I think that's one of the problems that we're seeing and that's trending in our society right now is I, I, I we were speaking about this earlier the was a brilliant article published in Vogue over a decade ago that said women are starting to look more like each other mm-hmm. and less like themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, be- it's because of this need and this perception. A woman walks in and says, I want fuller cheeks. I want bigger lips. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not going to complement her bone structure. Maybe mm-hmm. she doesn't even need that. Mm-hmm. Maybe her girlfriend had some mm-hmm. filler done. But but I think what you're saying is is really profound and really important to for those that are listening to be able to have an open mind in a consultation and to value the expert opinion to understand the I think I think they're really savvy patients. I mean, they 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 come in and they say, "So what? What do you think?" I actually want to hear what you have to say. Good. And that's smart. Absolutely. Rather than coming in and just saying, "I you need know, this. I, I need this. I need, I need that. I, I can't mean, stand this. I want know, this. This is bothering." But me. you know, you're taught in medicine to ask the patient what they want to listen to the patient first. Um, and I just realized many years ago, it's really not. The right or best approach, mm. because you know you'll find yourself responding to what that person wants to do. I'd rather have the sort of freedom to be able to look at things and um, come up with what I think should go on. So very quickly, I'll just tell you, I, I categorize changes in the face, and Chelsea might talk a little more about this um, into four distinct areas, and you'll quickly relate to this. There are four areas that changes take place, and as time goes on, and this covers the gamut of things. Number one, expression lines things we do Botox for. Number two, gravitational changes, things we do skin tightening procedures for. Number three, contour changes. Mm-hmm. So loss or shifts of volume on the face. Either, I'm feeling either globally, very vulnerable during this conversation. Either globally <laughs> or in specific areas. And the last area is the skin itself. What's going on with the skin? Wrinkles, sun damage, color changes, generally involving skin treatments um, or, or, or possible lasers. So when I look at somebody's face, I'm literally going through all four of those areas very quickly mm-hmm. in my mind. And that determines the four toolboxes you're pulling your tools from. And you can literally say somebody has mild changes here, moderate changes here, you know, no changes here, and come up with a comprehensive treatment plan and then start to, to you discuss with a patient, you educate and guide them, and you start to work towards it. And you don't have to be taking care of everything at one so time. So you're developing a long-term sort of a exactly. maintenance plan? Well, it's 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 making the improvements, of course, in a natural way, in subtle way, all those lovely words that we commonly mm-hmm. use. But when things are done well, you never really know. When things are done poorly, you know. Sure. So part of it is the improvement in a person's face. Some of it's from age, or sometimes it's just a 
a, a structural thing on their face mm-hmm. that you're trying to make improvements on. And the other part of it is, yes, prevention and maintenance. It's really refreshing to hear you say that because I, I do feel that you're welcome, that less is more, and that a woman should be able to age gracefully. And I'm and I'm very pro do anything that makes you feel good for with no judgment for men or women. But I think it's nice to look your age and to be age appropriate and to look rested and to look healthy and to have an opportunity to make changes that may affect one's self-confidence or make them feel uncomfortable. You know, I think that the way that many people perceive themselves might not be the way they really look to everyone else, some of its lighting, some of its obsession, some of its insecurities. And it's very rare. Um, I've had a lot of consultations in my life. <laughs> I'm exposed and, you know, in my industry to a lot of possibilities. And I can't say that most people take the time that you're describing. And yeah. Think- so about the, about the whole thing with uh, feeling good and looking good and happiness and all that stuff, um, you know, it, it's, it's a whole area just philosophically to discuss, mm-hmm. but... Um, Definitely, you know, happiness should never come from the way you look. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. You know, using things to look better, whether you're getting your hair done or using cosmetic procedures, is just a tool to simply potentially look a little better. It's like, mm-hmm. like dressing and, and, and clothing, example, mm-hmm. same Absolutely. sort of thing. And I think it's, it's cool Although that people it does, can do that. It does that. make us feel good, but, but I people, agree with you. But people should not define themselves by it. 100%. And, and it should never be equated with happiness. Happiness comes from a different area, which is really the way you live your life. It comes as a byproduct of the way you live your life. And that's a head game, I think, that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people get into. And mm-hmm. I, I, I do see it actually more, I think, in America than other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but although, although things are changing, you know, it's the really world is changing. You know, years ago, I would say that's probably the case that, you know, maybe in America, we had the, the stereotype of being that way. But I think you're seeing it in, in a lot of a countries shift. in the Middle East, in Asia, um, you know, definitely in South America, mm-hmm. and even Europe, that, that there's more of that focus on beauty and looks and defining yourself by it. And we're starting to all look a little bit more alike. And I think that women are starting to shine less from the inside. You know, that mm. they're not really shining truly. That's really from- scary for me. I, I, I agree with you. That's really well said. I mean, there's sort of a psychological band-aid almost that um, a lot of people are using when it comes to surgery and procedures. And I think that's why, especially in our city, why we see a lot of work done. We see a lot... A lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But people should, I mean, listen, these are tools, the things that we do here, for example, mm-hmm. but they're just tools. And the beauty thing really should come from the inside. Totally agree. You know, I mean, you as a totally woman, you see agree. a man, he could be a, a gorgeous model looking man, mm-hmm. but if he doesn't have on the inside, you're not, you're not turned on to him. Sure, sure. And it's really the same thing for men too. You know, I can t- tell you how many women I see standing in front of me and they're model gorgeous, but they don't have a sense of self within. And yeah. they're putting themselves down in subtle ways. I think and beauty takes, runs very deep. It takes right. away from their beauty. You can have another woman who is not attractive, but feels good about mm-hmm. herself. And exudes and the exudes essence that. And that's, honestly, beauty. that's sexy. And that's, and, that's, and that's attractive. Can all men have this philosophy? <laughs> This is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's so subjective. Yeah. Well, I guess you just, you know, you try to transcend I me. Mean, I'm 56 years old, so I've lived a lot. You but, look you know, amazing. Thanks. Thanks. Good genes. I want what you're having. <laughs> yeah. It's just, honestly, my dad's 97, my mom's 93. They still look pretty Damn great. It. Yeah, just good genes. I'll tell you, it's, it's not because of no stress. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is so true. Yeah. Um, do you find that people come in and uh, make certain requests more than others just based on what's trending and what's relevant right now and um, mm. in the superficial world of <laughs> make-believe? I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't know. It's. I mean, I guess it's a lot of the, the newest thing. I mean, it's... 
I mean, it's typically different areas. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the, it's the Botox stuff, mm-hmm. or it's the filler stuff, or it's taking care of their skin in those areas. Or they hear they hear some new device or gadget that they they want to you know pay attention to because they read about it, their friend had it done. Mm-hmm. What about the less um, invasive um, fat melting procedures? Yeah, heat, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge. I mean, you're talking to a guy because my practice is body mm-hmm. contouring, mostly all surgical, and we have a whole bunch of devices here that are non-surgical in different categories. And Does I think that, that compete area, with what you do? It's, um, I mean, quite honestly, no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, nothing is going to give as good of improvement as well-done liposuction. But then again, we're dealing with a surgery, which most people don't necessarily want to go to. And the area of non-invasive stuff has gotten a lot better and I think has its role and usage. I think that many people can qualify where it's worthwhile to do. But that's the problem I have with the whole the whole thing. Because you're having many times, I mean, I'll be blunt, you're having people who don't do lipo or evaluation just calling it out or people see some special for you know some fat melting thing and they just respond to it without knowing that is what is the best thing to be doing for them sure they're not properly evaluated then we get the whole aspect of a balance or proportion of a person's body i mean mm-hmm. are we targeting genetic disproportion of fat or are we just targeting the person is overweight and out of shape and if they're overweight and out of shape, they just go lose weight mm-hmm. and get in shape and not spend money on on, on even non-invasive stuff. Mm-hmm. Or are many practitioners just giving somebody what they want instead of right. advising them on what might be best right. for That's why body. I kind of say don't just ask for something because many times you'll just get it. Mm-hmm. And that's just the wrong approach. Go in and, and just ask for an evaluation. Mm-hmm. If it's a face, ask, you know, they're, they're going with an open face. mind. Ready to your body, listen. just literally just kind of just be general. Like, you know, give me an opinion about, about, you know, my body. And when I evaluate something for lipo, I'm going through a number of different mm. aspects of things and categorizing changes from disproportion to being overweight to being having laxity and looseness to having cellulite. And we'll discuss all those things mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about what, if anything, should be done. And maybe sometimes I think just nothing. the difference between you and many other surgeons is um, the level of expertise and probably what you're able to do um, and do well, where some doctors might be focusing on um, their own self-confidence and procedures. You know, I mean, how nice to have a person walk in as sort of a blank canvas with an open mind without their own personal beauty deconstructed agenda to be able to say, what would you recommend for me if I said nothing? Yeah. And to be able to receive that. But you know what? You really got to be, and I want to not put down to others, um, but, you know, you got to not be looking at the patient like dollar signs. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be looking, putting yourself in that position because that person is putting trust in you to guide them as, again, an expert and truly to guide them mm-hmm. in what is in their best interest mm-hmm. and regardless of, of money and cost and all that stuff. That's right. And that's so, so again, it begins with integrity and really, really locking onto that, that somebody has placed their trust in you mm-hmm. to care for them. And again, it's like a mechanic, you know, they understand the cars for that. If you got a mechanic, you got a problem, they really could take advantage of you and just tell you sure. all these different things. And they do. And the same thing uh, can a, go on business, in yeah. this industry also. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it unfortunately does go on. And so, you know, it's important to uh, find, take your time, find that person, mm-hmm. trust, build a relationship with that person. Absolutely. Um, be sl- I think there's be, an obsession. Be, sl- be slower to do things. Don't just mm-hmm. be so quick to This is great advice because I was going to ask you for some takeaway for our listeners and what defines a good patient, what's a very challenging patient, and, and, and what someone who's considering uh, undergoing a procedure 
what they should do. So just a little bit of takeaway. I mean, if, if, you know, you're saying to take your time and do your research, not, not everybody's willing to do that. And it's, it's, it's absolutely imperative. Yeah. And pay, and pay attention to the consultation. The consultation, you know, is a very important part of the thing. It's, it's the whole thing. Like before a decision is made to do something, Mm -hmm. who's doing the consultation, how comprehensive are they being? Do you feel guided to, or do you feel sold to? I mean, these are all important things. Mm -hmm. And how does uh, a person considering a procedure find a competent doctor or practitioner? I and mean, do you have any advice? That's you know people who can't come to the Roxbury Institute, people who might not be yeah. in our, our our you know. I think that it's 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 not always necessary. Who's again in Beverly Hills? Who charges the most? Who mm-hmm. has been in practice twenty years versus seven years? Who a friend recommended because maybe they had just a good job done with them, mm-hmm. or who even a doctor recommended. Many times I'll recommend their friends with things. So it's very difficult. You know, one thing I've tried to build this place around, um, and it's not just a plug for this place, is, is kind of leaders in specific areas. I think it's really hard to excel in every single Absolutely. thing. So you so, have a variety. You have experts at field in, in all different areas. I think if you've got a person who's built their practice on specific areas, chances are they're going to be better in those areas mm-hmm. they built reputation rather than just being a jack of all trades. And I think that's that's an important trend. I think that this trend's been going on for a while and getting more and more that way. Mm. But again, you know, then we're back to the comprehensive thing too. How do you do that with a specialization and again, have the whole comprehensive care of things? I mean, that's what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. here. It's a great concept. It's Thank very you. different. Very, very unique. Thank you. It's, being, it's, in... it's, it's being received very well. Yeah. Actually, not only received well by the patients, but actually... Uh, you know, my peers are starting to, you know, really pay attention to what we're doing here in a in a cool way. Because beauty is very time consuming. I mean, I got to tell you to go to your dermatologist and go get your skincare and to put a whole beauty program together from a lot of different walks of 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 life is is a full time gig. <laughs> when people don't know that they can come into one place, yeah. And so. um, yeah. have an overall evaluation consultation. I think that's that's yeah. really unique. It's true, actually. You know, they, it's true. Patients kind of bounce around to different places, not being able to put the whole story together. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they go to one place where they don't do other things, and they're not getting a full kind of analysis because they don't really do those things. Mm-hmm. And that's again, it's not it's not being comprehensive with the super mm-hmm. specialization thing going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment, but I walked in here with an idea in my mind. I was trying to talk to one of your girls about giving me a particular quick procedure. It's just mm-hmm. a quick little, I have a big red carpet event tomorrow. I'm revealing way too much here. And she said, nope, you don't need it. I was like, what do you no. mean? I have a credit card. I need it. I want it. No, I'm kidding. I'm a very good patient. She said, you don't need it. Yeah. So for me, that's the ultimate respect is when it's not a money business and when there is an ethical an ethical decision-making process in place and when there's a trust factor and when a patient can come in here with confidence knowing um, that they're going to get some really sound advice and be guided in a dis- in a direction that's right for them. And I think that's Yeah, well, I think especially, important. I mean, again, primarily we are professionals. This is a profession. This is not mm-hmm. a business. Mm-hmm. And I think especially professionals have to approach things with the utmost integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your time. I know you're yeah. a very busy man, <laughs> and um, I hope our paths cross again. Great. And I really appreciate it. And I'm so impressed with what you've done here. Great, thank you. I very wish much. everybody could see where I am right now. It's fascinating. Great, great to have you here, Brooke. <laughs> thank you very Bye. much. That was Dr. David Amron. He had to duck out and get back into surgery. He gave us so much to think about. After I met with Dr. Amron, I had the privilege of speaking to another board-certified plastic surgeon who does a lot of reconstructive and body surgeries here at the Roxbury Institute. Here's my talk with Dr. Jamie Schwartz. 
So Dr. Jamie Schwartz, I'm so excited to have an opportunity to speak with you. Break down for our listeners um, who you are and what you do. And I want to talk a little bit about your background. And then I have a whole lot of questions that I want to bring to life for our listeners. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to be here and, and to talk to people. Um, so I'm a board certified plastic surgeon. Um, I do practice now in Beverly Hills, California. Do you mind if I ask for people who don't really understand what board certified means? Because um, I was married to a board certified plastic surgeon before David. And, um, you know, the credentials, it's just, it's invaluable information. And I don't think most people understand the process of selecting a surgeon and the value of being board certified. Do you mind? Not at Speaking all. So board, board, to become a board certified plastic surgeon, so you have to finish a, an accredited residency, which I did. And actually, there's different ways to become a plastic surgeon now. And I went through the most rigorous. So mm. I did six years of just plastic surgery, and then I did a seventh year fellowship. So seven years of just training in plastic surgery. After you finish that- You're so young. I'm older than you think I am. You're looking good. <laughs> you're so young. Everybody says that. What are you doing? I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> That's why we're here at the Rock Springs. Exactly. Give it all to me. <laughs> so then, uh, um, so after you get into practice, then you, what you do is you wind up presenting your cases. You have to collect a whole year's worth of cases, and then you present them to a board. And a board, then they review all your work, everything you've done. They review your cases. They review how you bill, how you talk mm. to people, your patient, everything from A to Z. And they review all that. You have to go for an oral exam, and then you sit for the oral exam, which was the hardest thing for me in my life, as I remember. And uh, it's tough. It's really tough because they want to make sure that you're, it, it's not only about your outcomes and how you are, but it's also how you are as a person. Mm -hmm. it, you, there's ethics that's involved. It's really, there's a, it's your decision-making process mm -hmm. because as we know, and we can probably talk about this more today, but plastic surgery doesn't always go well. You know, my sure. old partner did the botched TV show. And so it's how you really help people and how you really treat those things. So there, everything goes in becoming board certified surgeon. And the value of ethics. It's such an important component in this whole the possibility of making changes. And I think that it's one thing that's lacking in this industry, you know, especially in Beverly Hills. A lot of people that you'll notice that aren't board certified, they are plastic surgeons. Actually, a lot of people fail, not because of their surgical outcomes or their acumen. It's really because of their ethics, because the judgments that they make are not proper. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is. And mm. you, you kind of mentioned this before, but you know, it, it's a big decision to undergo to undergo surgery or to trust your, to trust your body with someone mm -hmm. is a big big thing. And so, you really have to understand, you know, what that patient's going through, why they're doing it, and then get them through that safely. And I think that's well, the why aspect. they're doing it is something that's so fascinating to sure. me because that decision making process, and we spoke about this um, extensively earlier, is so important. You know, is it a band aid for something else? Is it an obsession is it um quite honestly gonna improve you know your overall health are you looking at the anatomy realistically are you trying to be someone who you're not what are the i always ask people what are the reasons why you're doing a procedure and i'm all for it by yeah. the way um but i think aging gracefully is something that's very difficult for both men and women and knowing what to do and when and what's too much so i'd love to talk to you a little bit about that but first what, what's your specialty so uh, I plastic surgeon. Um, I do try to. I really specialize in breast and body surgery, though. Is really okay. what I do. I do um, some face surgery still, since I've done a lot of reconstructive surgery. But um, I got into plastic surgery from breast cancer and breast reconstruction. And what I found is, 
as I became really good at that and well-known for that, then people started coming to me for their bad cosmetic breast surgery. So you've had to then, fix everybody's. Yeah, so that's <laughs> oh sort of, so, so you're really good. <laughs> and, and by the way, I, I think, you know, from a layman standpoint, that might not make a lot of sense. But when you get to be on the level that Dr. Schwartz is, you, you tend to be cleaning up everybody else's messes, right? And we see a lot of that in Beverly Hills. Yeah. 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 When, when, when people come to see me, you know, when you see my breast cancer patients, they're really in a vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, this is not something they ask for. When you see someone that's had five, 10, even up to 25 breast mm-hmm. surgeries and all they wanted to do was a little breast enhancement, I've seen these people, um, I, I do the same thing. They're in a very vulnerable state and you really have to look at them and say, okay, we're gonna start from the beginning now. We're gonna start with your chest wall and build a breast mm-hmm. for you. And it's the same exact mindset. And that's really what's, kind of got me moved my career along. Well, and, 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 and the characteristic of compassion comes into play big time, especially with those type of patients. Um, I'm always interested in the relationship between doctor and patient and um, bedside manner versus uh, hands and the skill set. For me, I believe that it really is a full combination that's necessary to have a successful um, experience as well as the outcome, do you agree? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the first time I meet a patient, our conversation is not just like, what can I do for you? It's mm-hmm. tell me why you're here and Excellent. let's talk about this. And you know, most patients, we probably spend at least an hour for the first consultation. My staff will yell at me when it gets over to two hours. But but the thing is though, you know, I, I really need to understand you know, why they're here and what they want done mm-hmm. and why. And we really have to get through those. And most of my patients who will, if you've seen things about me or whatever. Most of my patients don't leave here without a hug. Like they really know I care about them. Like it's super you know, important, important for everyone that's yeah. listening. I mean, the, the, the way that you feel going through this process is very important. There, there's another side to that too, you know, and people don't realize to be a surgeon, you don't have to be cold hearted and just you're going to cut people in his blood. There's actually another side to it. I worry about every single one of my patients after surgery. I mean, we call them all night. I see them back the next morning. I mean, I won't let people fly in. I will not let them leave me for mm-hmm. certain periods of time. Excellent. I, it's really like I, I'm nervous if they're not around me. And so it sounds they, like they, the highest quality of care. Yeah, they, they, not everybody um, shares that philosophy, unfortunately. How, how does one go about choosing a competent and qualified surgeon, someone who's considering a procedure? What do you think? You know, I, I think a lot of factors go into this. And the, the answer is no one knows. There are, sadly, as we see, there's price driven sometimes. And Absolutely. we do see that. And that's a lot of advertisements. That's a lot of things that we tend to fix when they, they you know, they, when they don't even check credentials, and they really look at the price for things. And of course, those people who believe that the more expensive it is, the better it is. I, and I, and I, the other people that are looking for a deal, which at the end of the day, yeah, is that element really as important as people are making it? I, the, the way I've always done it is I always, I would say like, I have an open and honest policy with my patients, meaning that I want them to speak to other patients of mine that had a similar procedure so they can understand because me telling someone what their recovery is gonna be like, their pain or whatever mm-hmm. they've been through, it's one thing, but it's, if they talk to somebody and talk to my, or even a few of my patients and they say, Dr. Schwartz said it's gonna hurt for this long, but honestly, it did, it, it, mm-hmm. it's more of an honest conversation with sure. people. And so I've always liked and that about my practice. And a case-by-case scenario as yeah. well. Yeah, because everybody's slightly different, but you you really, I, I think talking to other patients really, really helps. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you wanna hear that from people. Plus, sure. you also wanna, you, you, that there's another confidence with that also. There's safety in that. There is completely. Um, 
Um, friend referrals, I think, are always very comforting. Mm-hmm. Before and after pictures, do your research, understand the credentials that your surgeon is 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 bringing to the table. I think bedside manner is super important. And on the flip side, I'm sure that you have your your, your triggers and your your red lights that go off when you know a nightmare patient is coming in who has their own idea and his, who is obsessed with achieving something specific. And it's more about um, that need maybe than the realistic possibility. So can we talk a little bit about um, fantasy versus real possibility? Absolutely. Because I know that's a real struggle f- for you. It, it is. On we, the other side. <laughs> you know, I, I, there, there's a few things. I've, I've actually been very lucky. I think with my personality, so I, I there's, diff- there's different people find different surgeons also. I think with people's different personalities and they'll follow certain things. So I've actually been very lucky in that people tend to find me sometimes when after it's too late or people that find me know me from other person and they, they really are, they know I'm down, I'm on their level and, they, and mm-hmm. we appreciate that. But when we do see people that then are very unrealistic and they're coming in and, and I'm actually nervous for them. Mm. So the thing that, you know, the easiest thing for me to That's say- That's really nice. Well, the easiest thing for me to say right now is we just turn them away and say no. The problem with that, as you will see, is that they will find someone that is going to do this for money. Unfortunately, yes. That's the problem. So when I was early on in my career, the answer was, let me protect myself. Now, I I do this nationally also. Now I feel like I have to protect the patient Mm. as well. So it's never just easy to say, like, get away. So I think, you know, when we have- Which a lot of people do. Yeah. No, and and so I, I think the conversation that we have with those people is, Let's talk about the true consequences. Yes, there is something. I do see something wrong mm-hmm. or maybe I've been doing, but let's talk about the possibility if that goes even worse, where you're going to be off. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have to have that conversation. We can then talk about, is there something non-surgically we can try? Mm-hmm. Just something, I, and I'm, you know, whatever it is, if it's skin tightening, is there something we can try that's, you know, the risk is very, very minimal versus Which is really your, nice to hear because yeah. I think even a decade ago, Mm-hmm. You know, as research is evolving rapidly, there weren't as many possibilities with non-surgical procedures. So I think that's really important for people to consider is that when you find the right place and you find the right relationship, and for those that can't come to the Roxbury Institute, to really exhaust and explore all of the possibilities. Because unfortunately, just to break it down, women and men are looking at the covers of magazines that are beautifully lit um, grossly retouched sometimes. It's a very unrealistic perception. We're looking at ourselves, and, and, and I discuss this extensively with my makeup artist on, on another podcast, in bad lighting. We're seeing a reversed image of ourselves in a mirror, which most people never even think about, and only because I have some experience in the world of plastic surgery having been married to one. People don't realize that they may never know what they really look like. And 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 when we look in the mirror, we're seeing ourselves in a completely different way way we're actually seeing a reverse image of ourselves and in a completely different way than the rest of the world is seeing mm-hmm. us so what i kind of want to break down is um actually can, can i say something please, funny with that please. i just had this conversation yesterday and it was exactly that this this uh, a patient of mine that, that flies in from out of out of the country she actually has breast cancer mm-hmm. so a different type of thing but we're we're talking about her you know her outcomes and things she's things she's looking at and she says that 
her mirror at home doesn't make her look good. Mm-hmm. And I was joking around and I said- I gotta agree with and, her. <laughs> right? and, I, I, and I said that, I said, well, what about that mirror when you go shopping that makes everything look good? She's like, yeah, I need to get one of those at home. And yeah. I was like, see, exactly. Yeah. We just need to change that around. It's like, so, the, the one at Saks always looks good until you get home, so right? It's <laughs> so powerful. And then there's also that jacked up mirror in some of the department stores where you're never gonna buy that outfit. But I had this conversation with my makeup artist, Marilyn, and I said, the right lighting and even lighting will kind of change your vision around and we don't, all have access to that. But, you know, what's so interesting to me is when I start to look at um, symmetry and when I look at, you know, the anatomy or the symmetry of a woman's face. Perfect example, you look at a supermodel. In real life, they're not always exceptionally beautiful. They photograph like nobody's business. Their eyes are often widely set apart. There's a really interesting, strong feature that's shot at the perfect angle. And they are these breathtakingly beautiful supermodels that if you were to see them walking down the street, you might even not, you might not even know who they are. And because I, I, you know, I see that on the other side of the business, I, I think it's fascinating. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I have with women my own girlfriends who have such body dysmorphia and I, 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 I have a girlfriend who no matter what her weight is, she will think that she's fat. And this woman could pick up five pounds easily and probably look better. And we're always joking around. Sometimes I say, if we could just put the weight on in our face and not on our butt, but now, now big booties are so much more, more fashionable, but it's so interesting to me, the way that a woman sees herself and and what I'm what I'm very interested in shedding light on is the possibility of aging gracefully the possibility of looking age appropriate and I said it before I'm all for whatever procedures are going to um, enhance one's beauty and make them feel better about themselves not feel good because I don't think going and having plastic surgery or having anything done is going to um, heal any internal dissatisfaction but it sure makes you look good when you walk out of the hair salon or you put on a new dress or you're popping that tag or, you know, you just got a facial or whatever your thing is. But the decision-making process is so crucial on what the possibilities are of enhancing your beauty and not screwing it up. Well, right? I, I, what I can say is I think a lot that we've learned, especially from 20 to 30 years ago, it used to be wait, wait, wait until things were completely falling off and then have a massive facelift. Damn or have, gravity. Or have your eyes done and then pull all the fat from there. So we, yeah. we've learned over time that it's actually not the right way to go. And I, I think there's certain things at certain ages for people that we do now, whether it's smaller things yes. or even skincare. Or That's even what lasers. I wanted to ask you because the yeah. woman who waits until yeah. she's, um, and this is case by case, by the sure. way. So my this is just my opinion. I'm not advising anybody here. But, you know, the woman who waits until she's 60 or 65 and suddenly is trying to look 50 again or, or 40 or, God forbid, even worse, we've seen all the cases, it's quite shocking and extreme. And what I see in my industry and what impresses me the most about um, an aging woman that just looks so rested and beautiful is little procedures along the way that no one notices. And I'm by no means saying that th- there isn't something beautiful about a woman who has done nothing because I think that... Um, beauty is very deep and it's extremely subjective. So let me just clarify that. But I think maintenance and I think little things along the way that go unnoticed, it's fascinating. And um, I think there's a shift towards that now. Do you agree? Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, and you actually touched on this earlier with some of the 
know, the non-surgical treatments that we have nowadays, things that do like use what? Can we our, make, um, our skin tightening devices. Mm -hmm. Lasers. Um, our, it, lasers too. Lasers have kind of always been around though. So lasers, but nowadays we use them differently. We definitely use them lighter. So we do more frequent treatments, but do them lighter. So there's no downtime. And there's no so it tightens up the skin so there's less sagging rather than just filling up the hollowness. Or um, filling that, in no, the and, and that works well also. So there's other, and then so lasers are one thing. Then there's radio frequency devices that are out there now that actually we we have one here that we absolutely love. And in fact, when somebody comes in for like tear troughs, they always say underneath their eyes mm -hmm. is hollow. I actually won't do fillers there anymore until they do one of our skin tightening treatments. The reason you get those hollows is you really have loose skin that's mm -hmm. falling over. When you tighten, this is the I thin, need that. Yeah, this, it, it's it's the thin, <laughs> Tell us about it's that. the thinnest skin of the body. It works so well, and we tighten it. People get a, a little bit of a brow lift. Their cheeks, everything gets a little tighter in this area, and then they come back and I say, "Do you still want fillers?" And I'll tell you, most of them say no after that. Mm -hmm. So you have to and treat. And if you don't mind, I want to just sure. um, bring some realness to the fact that um, a lot of uh, how do I want to say this. I think that there are uh, many offices that you may find yourself in that might not have invested the money into some of these very expensive machines to perform certain procedures like you're speaking of. Right. So if you are running a business and somebody comes in asking for a particular procedure that you don't do, this does not apply to the Roxbury Institute because you guys have everything, and maybe your specialty is filler, you're probably going to walk out of there with some filler when you could have done less, saved more money, and found the right procedure in another place, which is why I think the vision here and this concept of having experts at field and having sort of, um, you know, a concierge service to beauty and having the possibility of a lot of different types of procedures that might be right for you, um, I think is really ethical and really, really profound. One of my favorite sayings is when you're, when you're a hammer, the whole world is a nail. It means, you know, basically saying that if that's your one thing, if you've just, if you're a, injector mm -hmm. you know let's say you're not a board certified plastic mm -hmm. surgeon you're an injector if the that's whole, your thing that's what you're gonna do the whole world needs to be filled yeah. you know if you have one laser the whole <laughs> and all world of needs beverly that. hills is being filled right yeah the, the whole right now, now and it's funny too because we, we've gone I don't mean so, to be mean but it, it's it's disturbing and it's alarming to me nope. when i see everybody looking we talked about this earlier more like each other and less like themselves and they're sort of this pumpkin pumpkin philosophy and nothing's moving and lips are jacked up and cheeks are pudgy and i and i and i ask myself especially in the industry, do they really think that that looks good? And why do they think that looks good? And the answer is, yeah, they do because they keep going back for mm -hmm. more. And then a natural wrinkle that's supposed to be there suddenly is not supposed to be there anymore in their mind. And it's just, there's no, um, it's just, they don't know when to stop, right? Yeah. I, I think at some point you have to look at what you're trying to achieve mm -hmm. in and be realistic about it and then stop at that point. You know, there And how does somebody um it's a very difficult question, but you know, maybe we can give our listeners some advice. How does somebody get a better understanding on what is realistic and what what the what beauty is for themselves and um how to sort of, I guess, complement what they have rather than trying to change it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of times you, you know, people always try to bring in pictures from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And or of somebody around. else. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, I don't do the other. Every time they try to show me a picture of someone else, like someone that's famous or, or somebody that Good. they want to emulate, th that doesn't work. It's the same thing with, even, even when we talk about before and after photos, the reality is 
whatever your body is, it's not going to match what that person mm-hmm. is. So, so this is brilliant. You're yeah. asking for pictures of who they once were so you can understand yes. where gravity and less elasticity and all of those things have come into place. That, ah, that's that's a, that's a great, because, Well, great, you can also show visual. someone how, because everybody remember, I, I remember myself when I had my six pack and all my other mm-hmm. stuff and a bunch of pounds ago. <laughs> No, you know, we, we all we all remember that, and you know, at, at you know, so when someone comes in and said, "I had the most full lips when I was twenty five years old," I had these old, great chipmunk at, cheeks right? that I hated when I was in my twenties, exactly. and now I'm like, "What the hell? I need a little bit more chunk in the cheeks. It's so youthful." And by the way, when I was younger, hated it. And and Garth always used to say to me, "Full cheeks are youthful." Don't fight the beast. It is. Full cheeks yeah. are good. Let me take a picture of those cheeks. Let me take a picture of the shape of your eyes. No, it's it's Everybody really... wants that. Now, exactly. And it's funny. That's what we're trying to do now for everyone. Yeah. We actually don't really even feel like the lines at the fit. We actually fill the cheeks yeah. to bring everything yeah. up now. Do you remember back in the day when they were... Um, taking fat pads out of the face because mm-hmm. everybody, that's what was trending at the time. This waif look was really in style. Yeah. And now this voluptuous woman, thanks to JLo and the Kardashians, you know, people are building booties and hips are sexy and women are looking more like women, <laughs> less like bicycles. Truly, thank God. Thank God, right? You've seen all the trends. Yeah, we, and, and that's exactly it. So we learned taking fat out is not the right thing to do. I mean, the worst was eyelids from people when they would take it all out. So the thing is now we we reposition, we put mm-hmm. things back to where they should be. We study like where, where, and that's, you know, back to, you know, specialists versus someone that's doing this. We look at where the face goes and when, and why things happen and try to restore those exact little right. areas. So. And I think someone with um, out the education that somebody like yourself has and a full understanding of the anatomy beneath the surface is really crucial. I mean, we know there's Botox parties. We know that there's people yeah. who um, legally aren't even uh, allowed to do the procedures that they're doing. And um, it's the deal. Like people are looking for a deal and injecting all kinds yeah. of stuff. And I think that's really scary and really dangerous. Well, the, the other thing, the other thing I do people do for people is I try to actually teach them about their own faces and their mm-hmm. bodies. So face is one thing, body's a little different. But for face, you know, everybody's always worried about the aging face, mm-hmm. and there's different reasons. You know, some people have. I'm actually lucky. Like you, you think I look younger than I am. Um, he does. He looks like a baby. And, <laughs> and, and I'm lucky. Actually, I have where my cheekbones are. I don't have that that mid facial hollowing, and that's just me. And I, my patients that have that, and and they do, and they say, well. And I will actually take their hand and put it on my face and say, this is my bone here. This is where your bone isn't. There's, that's, there's right. nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But now we have to look at, okay, that's why we're going to try to do something there. And so those mm. are the things we're going to look at. The other thing I do for people also is, and Chelsea, my nurse practitioner whom you met, and she does exactly the way I things I do, um, we don't do a lot of filler at one time. I will not do that. I will never let somebody leave my office and have somebody say, "Oh my God, what happened? What to happened you? to you?" We do. Oh, I've seen. We, we do a few, so much crazy I, work I, done. I tell most people when it's when it's let's say it's a, and I it would say Less extreme, is more, it's everybody. Lot. Well, that's what I say. I say you know it may take us six months to get us to where you are. Most people don't want to wait, um, but I say let's do some now. Come back in four weeks and we'll take a look in. And at that point, they also start to. They see themselves in pictures, they're out mm-hmm. more, and then they start realizing that they didn't need to mm-hmm. go all crazy and they're actually getting where they want to be. So. I do think we should be aiming to look like ourselves, you know? Yeah, I know, that's okay. Um, it's it's interesting because, you know, um, my ex, Dr. Garth Fisher, he had a really amazing philosophy that it was stuck in my mind when I was a young woman, but he always said it's sort of like blackjack. And, you know, if you're 17, you hold it 17. 
trying to get 21 when you're a 17 is just pure stupidity. And I thought that was such a great um, analogy. You know, and it's the women that come in here and are striving for perfection and um, cannot settle into the beauty of what they have. And of course, there's also some room for improvement, but I think that's part of the decision-making process that's unhealthy and that's missing. Where is there room for improvement? What is too much? And, um, you know, what's your goal? What, yeah. what are you trying to get to? Actually, I'm, I'm going to start using Dr. Fisher's line in the future, but uh, my, I, actually- <laughs> Is my, that a good one? Yeah, I, I like that one. I like that one. My, 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 my line that I tell patients, I say our, our, one of our things is, the enemy of good is better. Meaning that, you know, things are good right now. We can make them better. But guess what? You can also make things worse. And so weigh out the risks, the consequences. Yeah, you really have to be careful with things. And, you know, and and that, by the way, that's not only with facial fillers and everything else that we're talking about, but even surgeries. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, you know, back back to what Dr. Fisher was saying, you know, a similar thing. And it's, I want to tell people whatever surgery they want, let's get you to the 80th or 90th percentile without a complication. Mm. And let's get you, you know, something that you're, something's going to make you extremely happy and not have a problem. When you have a problem and you go too far with things, coming back from that is a lot harder. Absolutely. There are risks with everything. Absolutely. Let me ask you a quick question, then I'll let you get back to your busy life because I I, I work, we could talk for so long here. Um, Let's say that somebody uh, is ready for, a facelift and maybe is uncomfortable with um, particular f- areas of fat in their body and maybe they're considering liposuction and you know maybe they've had a few children and maybe a tummy tuck is a possibility and you know there's just a whole lot of things that one would consider doing do you think that how does one decide like when is the right time to undergo those procedures do you break it up do you do it all at once is 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 there an age? I mean, I know it's case by case, but you know, do you want to have multiple surgeries in your life? Do you want to knock it all out and, um, you know, one sitting? <laughs> do you know what I'm, what I'm yeah, asking? So it's, I, <laughs> I I I, th- I think there are sur- smorgasbord of <laughs> surgery. <laughs> do it all. Go under one time. I, I think there's certain things we group together. So, and I think when you're when you're changing different body areas and stuff, I, I think there's also a certain amount of hours we like to keep surgeries in the OR. In the for OR for you, the surgeon, yeah. and also for the patient. For the patient, yeah. We have certain, uh, like I said, I sit on our patient safety committee for the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. We we look at certain outpatient guidelines mm. that we do. Obviously, things can go longer, and then we recommend recovery facilities, which is what I do for most of my patients anyway. But I, I think when you come with a whole list of things that are mm-hmm. bothering you, I think you start with the most that's going to give you, you know, the thing that's going to that's going to make you the happiest thing you want to fix the most. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of start with that. Now, it's interesting you said like facelift and liposuction. So most people will do a monster liposuction and a facelift. Facelift has its own issues with, with um, bleeding and stuff. So you really want to be careful with people. However, one of the most common things that we do with facelifts is fat grafting. So we will take some fat from other areas to fill out the cheeks as well when we're doing a facelift. So there are little, little adjuncts you do. That's a bonus. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think like one of the most common things I do, we, 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 um, you know, we call it the mommy makeover. You know, I'll do, you know, tummy tuck with a little bit of liposuction and a breast surgery. And I think that's pretty safe. I do that mm-hmm. for a lot of people. I think coming, I think just doing your breasts and then coming back six weeks later and having your, I, I think that that's, you know, I don't think that's the best way to go. So I think when we combine certain things that we've been doing for a long time, I think that does work well for people. But again, you have to find- At the time. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I like to hear it. I, it's a, that's the difference between a, a, a qualified surgeon, you know, and an ethical uh, 
doctor versus somebody that wants to do as much as possible. Yeah, and, and then the other side goes into it. There's always like, you know, there's certain guidelines that I stick with anyway, and then you have to look at the individual person. You mm -hmm. do have to look at Absolutely. their age, their medical history, their, health, their sure. health is most important. I mean, there's some people that just- We can't generalize, yeah, yeah absolutely. some people that don't need cosmetic surgery. I mean, there's really, it's not, it's not, the risk is not, the risk versus benefit's not there. I give great respect to um, doctors and practitioners who are able to say no and turn people away. Um, I think there's such value in that, you know. Can you give me um, just quickly some takeaway for like what are the no nos for a patient? What makes someone? Um, well, let me let me let me make it a little more positive. Um, what advice would you give to someone to really be a good patient? I think. I think when it becomes a teamwork. So I don't look at myself as the surgeon and the patient. I look at us as a team. Mm -hmm. So I think that I want people to come and understand. I'd rather them come and ask a thousand questions, which means they've actually thought about it and understood everything. So I actually like that. I appreciate that. Typically, my consult, I'll answer all their questions even before they ask them. But the reality is when they've thought about stuff versus like, I just wanted something bigger or smaller. I, I think that's the right way to go. Um, and then it's really a teamwork thing, you know? Sure. Tell us what's going on. I need to know about your medical history. I, need, I, I want you to stop taking, there's certain things, I don't want you to smoke. You don't want to lie to me. It's just, I, mm. I need to know exactly what's going Honesty. on. Yeah, Transparency. People really, people really think that they're they're hiding stuff from me and it's like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm here for you and to care for you. So mm. And it puts you in great risk as yeah, well. Yeah, and I mean, we want really to really is a team effort, I like it, that. It, it's a complete team effort. I think that's the best thing. And listen, and everybody, you know, we all, we're there for each each other also, the same thing. And I'm, like I said, I actually care about the person I'm taking care of. So they, they have to understand that that's a you know, mutual mm -hmm. respect there, so. Mm -hmm. What do you think about all of the, um, <laughs> I don't know what the right word to call it, all of the butt fillers and that, you know, so many people right now are wanting a bigger booty, which it's, is very sexy and, you know, very fashionable right now. I could do the pun intended to say it's a large part of my practice. Right, right, like right. That. But it's seriously, I mean, I'm hearing so much about it. I don't know if I've seen one in person. I've certainly never felt one, but I'm kind of fascinated so by I, it. I, I will tell you, not... In do you the, do that procedure? The the implants are a very small aspect of what you're seeing out there. So implants- Is it an implant, like a breast implant? Is it, it a, it's similar. It's actually a solid piece of silicone okay. that goes in. So, and it's a very- Because I always wondered about that. Does it move when you sit down? Is it much like a- you know, it, What it does can. it feel like? It, it, it can. It's so, <laughs> out of all the stuff that goes on with gluteal augmentation, that's the least Gluteal amount. augmentation. Like, is glute, that the proper term? Gluteal augmentation. Gluteal yeah. augmentation versus building booty. Yeah. So it's a-, it's a um, is it silicone? It's silicone, yeah. It's a, sol a solid silicone, and so it, it, that's a very small volume. All different shapes? They do come in shapes. They come round, which is what more male males do it also for male. Are There'll men be doing more a lot of, a, of that? Um, it's, it's, I mean, again, out of all implants that happen, I guess it's anything small, goes nowadays. Yeah. But there are male ones. There's more, you know, oval-shaped ones, more female. There's, there's a lot of things, kind of like breast implants. There's slightly different things also. So there are different ones. The most common way to do, you know, gluteal augmentation, which we have named the Brazilian butt lift, yes. and that is we Gosh, do. Gosh, I'm light spending way too much time in the gym. I call what I do in my booty the burn class the, the Brazilian, Brazilian butt lift. Butt I didn't know you could just go get it done. <laughs> just go get it done. <laughs> so the Brazilian butt. That's lift. the most common. We take fat from the rest of the areas of your body. You don't want mainly from the torso, the abdomen, the back. And it has to be. I'm asking you silly questions because no. it, what, what seems sure. obvious to you is not obvious to our listeners. It's your own fat. It's your own fat. Well, okay. I actually there's something I'm going to talk about in a second too, but yeah, but the Brazilian butt lift is you take your own fat during a surgery and you transfer it into 
into your into your butt to and really make things it, larger. It stays. It stays. We tell people Forever? with fat. With, yeah, what it, what does stay? So typically in our literature, about about sixty per, fifty to sixty percent of the fat that we transfer stays. So people put a lot in to see what can stay. So whatever stays at about six months to a year is yours forever wow. because it's fat cells. We used Why to do- it's so hard to get rid of fat people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, you can use it, but you can use it now. So you have to have enough to take out of your body in we order do. to We do. I mean, there's people that try all, and people really want to do this though. There's people that try to put weight on and yeah. do, there's oh, all kinds of things that go out there. I, I, I stay away from that, but there's, <laughs> you, I hear all kinds of stuff, but that's, that's the most, you know, that's probably the most common surgery then non-surgically, we have non-surgical injectables that we inject. And actually, one of the newest ones that I actually started doing recently is actually processed fat in a, uh, in a, in a, in a syringe that I inject. Someone else's Someone else's. It's been fat. purified. It's been it's purified and we mix it up with then water. Then there's always the Instagram filter, right? <laughs> the reshaping filter. No, that, I'm that, just kidding. That, that's okay, <laughs> easier that, to filter I, it than fill it. No, actually, I'm just kidding. Actually, actually, no, totally I actually kidding. take it back. So Instagram is most common. <laughs> Then it's the then it's your own fat, and then it's the stuff I stick in. Yeah, we always tell funny stories about you know the guy who's out on his his date, and he brings the girl home, and she takes the bra off, and their their boobs drop, and she takes the the, <laughs> the pants off that have the built-in butt pads because a lot of people are doing that, and you know you're left with this person that looks nothing, absolutely nothing like what you brought home. It's so crazy, <laughs> but I think it's fascinating, and I think that um, if you do your research. Um, from what I'm gathering too from today's interviews is if you are a good patient and you have an open mind and you're willing to come in as a blank canvas and really respect the person that you are doing the consultation with and to consider their point of view and to not necessarily come in with an obsession and to have your mindset on something that A, might not be best for you and B, might not really be um, accentuating your beauty. And I think the partnership that you you know you spoke about is essential. Mm. Uh, patient doctor, that relationship, and um, I think we need to spend more time really focusing on um, the positive parts of our exterior and understanding how we can kind of beautify um, things that are really bugging us. You know. Well, I agree, and I I agree with everything you said. And actually, uh, something else came to mind as as you were saying that. Um, a lot of patients, I, especially since I do a lot of breast surgery, a lot of patients come to me and they say, they have really large breasts. They're mm-hmm. already wearing a D cup. And they mm-hmm. went to see another doctor that said, oh, if you want fullness up top, you have to put implants in. And I ask these people. women. And we see those procedures, see all, You see this all the time. That, because it's, it's actually easier to put an implant in than it is to lift the breast. That's more complex. So I always ask these women, I say, I start out, I say, what size bra are you? And they'll say a D or double D, triple D. And I say, do you want to be the same size or larger? Most people say, I don't want to be any larger than I am now. So what are you going to add an implant for? And so we, and, and that's another thing. So the thing is, I, I think you really have to like get, you know, the right advice from people. Well, and, and, I, and, 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 but, but also don't be afraid to question why. Like you should great. always, I have a reason, every single thing that I do from A to Z with my patients in terms of the way we even, that's great. even my post-op care, my scars, everything that's that I great. do has a literature background for everything. So you can ask me why and I can literally give you exactly why. You're very generous. So I, I would say to um, to any patient, if there's an arrogance associated with those questions, find yourself another doctor. Yeah. And um, I also think it's really important to get multiple consultations. 
right? I mean, it's, I your, it's your health and it's your body. And, and it's so super important. I agree. That does not, I, I like when people come here and they'll say to me, I've seen, and some people actually start at, it's Beverly Hills. So some people start to say, I've seen six other doctors and yeah. they're on TV and they've done all this. And, and that doesn't. And aren't you wondering why you might be the seventh? Because they, they are damn straight yeah, set in their mind. And it, that it, they're going to find someone who's going to go, yes, I will do that for and, you. And, and, and It's and crazy. And like I said, those things don't even phase me. And most of those people, after meeting us here and seeing that we do a different, they really just tend to stay here because it's, it's we're, we're not going to just totally. tell them exactly what they want to hear. And we're going to basically tell them what's safe for them and yeah. what we can do to get them through this. Yeah, so. I think I think you have to listen. You have to listen to the advice and um, trust the expert. Thank you for your time. You oh, gave my. us a lot to think about. I really appreciate you being so thorough on that because, um, you know, like we said, it's the, it's the process of making a decision. Um, that's so important. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much oh, for having yeah, me. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. I want to thank Skechers for supporting my podcast. You guys know I love you. You are the greatest family shoe brand on the planet. Right now, I'm obsessed with the Skechers Delights. You may have seen the commercial that's airing. There's so many cute colors. I love the extra height that they give me. They're super, super comfortable. There's a little memory foam inside that feels like you're walking on air, and you don't even feel the little lift. So you got to try this shoe. I'm obsessed right now, and I wear them inside and outside of the gym. So does my entire family. Thank you, Skechers, for always supporting me. You guys are the best. So much great information from that interview. It's such a big decision, and I think that people should think about cosmetic surgery or anything that they're doing very seriously, and I couldn't agree more with so many things that Dr. Schwartz shared with us. But now we're going to get a woman's voice into the mix. I love hearing about non-invasive procedures as well. Here's my conversation with nurse practitioner Chelsea Hagopian. All right, everybody. So we're t- we're covering we're covering all things beauty. So I'm so happy to have an opportunity to get Chelsea Hagopian's perspective on uh, beauty deconstructed. And you're a nurse practitioner. So can you define and describe to our listeners exactly what that means, nurse practitioner? Sure. So a nurse practitioner is really an advanced practice nurse. So additional schooling, it's a usually a master's or doctorate degree in nursing. Um, you have autonomy in practice as far as, you know, you're making diagnosis, you're, you're really treating the patients comprehensively, writing prescriptions if need be, really um, covering all treatments except for surgery. Mm. So a lot of times nurse practitioners will collaborate with surgeons if they're more procedural based. Um, and it, it's very nice way to practice. It, it kind of fills a, a void. Mm. Um, nurse practitioners really are trained on patient centered model, whereas doctors and surgeons um, are really trained on the um, medical disease based model. So it's really um, about a lot more communication mm-hmm. and, and really patient focused. What's your specialty? So technically, I'm an adult, an adult gerontology acute care nurse practitioner. So I've never heard that term. It's, that's why I never <laughs> really very say important. it. <laughs> no, that's why. I, I, Can you break it down in English for us, essentially, please? <laughs> essentially, all that means is you can treat anyone over the age of 13 for anything. I didn't um, know that there was a um, legal age limit. Mm-hmm. So for inject- scope of practice, really. Mm-hmm. So for injectables or there's there's a lot of safety in that. 
I yes. never knew that. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. 13 even seems young, but I'm sure there are unique possibilities where um, certain cases might require some attention. I didn't know that. And in that instance, I would collaborate with Dr. Schwartz mm-hmm. or Dr. Amron uh, or dermatologist if it's uh, if it's more skin concerns mm-hmm. as well. Um, she's fantastic. So. What do you do mostly here? I mainly do non-surgical, um, so anything from cosmetic injectables to laser skin treatments, uh, non-surgical body contouring, um, cellulite, veins, all of oh, it. Oh, all of it. So I'd love to talk a little bit about um, injectables and skin tightening treatments because I think, unfortunately, you know, we see a lot of over-injected cases in our city. Um we see a lot of people just fighting mother nature and trying to get rid of any race or fill every single imperfection on their face. And, um, I love to see a woman who looks like herself, who looks rested and beautiful and healthy. And I think it's a fine line. Um, and I'm all for the tips and tricks and, and helping us along the way. But I just want to get your perspective on, Um, the process, the decision-making process and and knowing what to do and what not to do. Sure. So really... It's a loaded question, but I... I, Sure, it's a good one. I mean, it's an important one, really. Um, Really, when you come in, you really should, as a patient, should be a team with your provider. Um, Really a lot about understanding the reasons behind whatever you're concerned about, your aesthetic concern, Mm -hmm. and, you know, educating on the process of aging, why you're seeing such concerns, and, Mm -hmm. you know, really individually tailoring treatment plans. A lot of times with non-surgical especially, and even combination non-surgical and surgical, Mm -hmm. uh, there's different type treatments to really end up with your best outcome. So Do not- you consider yourself to be an artist? Like, are you able to look at um, the face and the symmetry and the structure of one's face and because of the knowledge that you have beneath the surface as well, are you able to um, have a pretty good sense of what would enhance one's own beauty? I believe so. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of, you know, an, an art, artistic approach mm-hmm. as well as really understanding uh, anatomic norms and you know ideal male and female forms mm-hmm. and you know from more of a, an objective and subjective perspective sure. so. do you find yourself talking um, potential patients out of many procedures Sure. And I ask that because, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know we see people walking around overly injected and puffed up lips. And I often wonder, was that their decision or their demand? Or was that um, the vision of someone like yourself that just happens to like that look? I, I, I tend to believe that it's a patient that's insisting on more and more and more. And that's got to be really frustrating on your side. Sure. So in in the instance of overinflation, I overinflation. <laughs> I, I, I like volume yeah. restoration, <laughs> not overinflation. Oh, that's good. So um, I, I think it's important. I, I think that you know you look at balance, you look at proportions, and volume you, restoration versus overinflation. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna share that one with my girlfriends. That's good. I think it's important. I mean, I think it's important to properly use injectables. Um, I I think that when people start looking like caricatures of themselves, I've corrected a lot of that for Mm -hmm. people. Um, It sounds like everybody here at the Roxbury Institute is pretty conservative. 
and there's sort of this, um, for me, I mean, if I was a patient walking in here with an open mind, this sort of less is more concept. It really is. It's about doing, you know, little things that make big impacts and and really addressing the true cause of someone's concern. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people may think that they need a lot of filler when it's really laser skin resurfacing. By the um, way, I'm going to be vulnerable. Before we started this interview, I came in to meet with Chelsea and I was like, listen, I have a red carpet event. I, I share everything. So Perfect. I have no shame. I have a red carpet event tomorrow. You see the these laughs lines. You see these laugh lines? Can you fill these up for me? And she said no. She actually, you, you said I, I might want to consider doing some skin, skin resurfacing treatments. treatments. And I have so much respect for you that you know it's very easy for somebody to just give you what you want that might not necessarily be what's right for your face. Certainly. Right. So thank you for talking me out of that uh, pain and swelling. Yeah, of <laughs> I'm course. <kidding. laughs> Well, and it's also important to, you know, spend your time and your money appropriately. And I don't think that patients really should throw time and money at certain things when maybe um, we could do different approach to actually end up with a better outcome. It may take a little longer Mm -hmm. than doing a little Band-Aid filler here and there, Mm -hmm. but... um, I think patience is mm -hmm. a really important component of this process. Mm -hmm. And I think that when patients really understand um, the rationale behind treatments and and what really the goal is and and what our target is, I think that a lot of times patients um, are more patient mm-hmm. with, with regards sense. to the results. So are they you understand. sort of helping them develop a beauty plan, if you will? Certainly. I love that. Certainly. That's really unique. I'm not sure that... Um, most people are getting that kind of care and attention, I have to say, which I think is really, um, really valuable and really a a different way of looking at sort of your long-term, um, beauty. Sure. I like Really kind of redefining aging gracefully. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I think that here at Roxbury, we're certainly, we're results driven and um, very much evidence-based when it comes to treatments. So we really like to critically evaluate outcomes Mm -hmm. and, you know, continually, you know, update, you know, we, we see people back regularly and, you know, you can kind of reassess and reevaluate and really certain times in certain people's lives, you know, sometimes it is surgical and then transition over to maintenance with mm-hmm. certain things. So it's, it's a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of combination and, you know, it sounds like a lot of trust it. and kind of a joint effort in a relationship. It is. You gotta be a team. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share your opinion on, and this is a difficult question, but maybe we can just kind of shed some light on why women become so obsessed on certain things um, and why they focus on, you know, we look in the mirror and we notice that our face is changing and, you know, gravity is inevitable. But I think that a lot of beautiful people focus on flaws and um, on the negative rather than the positive. And I'm fascinated by that uh, aging process. Certainly. Why do you think that women are focusing on 
that one damn wrinkle that's bugging them rather than their beautiful smile or the sparkle in their eyes or, you know, wanting to get rid of all the crow's feet that probably look kind of natural or women that are so intensely Botoxing their face that nothing's moving. And quite honestly, it doesn't really look very good. (laughs) I want to tell them that it doesn't look very good. I mean, there are people in the industry, we're not going to name names that I often wonder why is their glam squad? Why doesn't their glamily love them enough (laughs) to tell them not to do that anymore. Is it because they're afraid of getting fired? Probably. It's a, it's tricky. Sure. I, I think that a lot of the focus on the flaws is a little bit of habit. I think that people get uh, in a habit of focusing on that. Their friends focus on certain things, and it's, it's more of just the societal norm. Mm-hmm. And when um, something starts bugging you, that's all you see. Exactly. So it takes a very strong psychological... Um, philosophy, I think also to be able to have some self-compassion and to have a a level of acceptance um, and to find beauty, I think also in change, right? Mm -hmm. Easier said than done. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well, which is why I believe in some maintenance and taking care of our skin and drinking a lot of water and getting enough rest and, and, you know, doing subtle little things along the way. But it's, I think it's, it's a struggle for a lot of people and a bit of a demon, you know? Sure. And I I think that, you know, of course, when you feel like your best self, you Mm -hmm. treat yourself better, more productive Mm -hmm. member of society and, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's- You have a different energy. Yeah, but it's it's kind of achieving that balance of of not being, you know, hypercritical and hyper-focused and- That's what I would like to see, people being less hypercritical and more compassionate to themselves and with each other when it comes to aging. Sure. I I hear a lot about these Botox parties and parties at home and deals and uh, people practicing that maybe aren't, don't have the proper credentials to be practicing. And I find it to be really scary and really risky and something that I would never, ever, ever partake in. And I'm, why do you think so many people are quick to risk their, first of all, their faces for trying to save money and to get a quick fix? It's crazy to me. And what's interesting is, you know, you may be saving money in the short term, but if something goes wrong, you may end up out a lot more money in the long term trying to correct certain things um, for some situations. Absolutely. But I I think it's really very, very important um, for patients to be advocates for themselves and do their homework Mm -hmm. before going to see someone, before entrusting, you know, your body, your care, um, you know, your trust in someone that do do your homework, you know, research someone's credentials. Um, Ask questions, absolutely. really listen, do your research. Um, know who's working on you. Um, be in a sanitary environment. Certainly. So important. And with respect to these Botox or filler parties at, say, uh, homes or hotels or, or certain, certain places, you know, there's... 
there's a little bit of, you know, you, you need to make sure that, um, you know, in the event that there is an adverse event, um, that the person providing the treatments actually has um, the materials that they need. The to ability to problem it. solve. Yeah. Correct. No kidding. Um, so really, um, it's, it's best those type things if they do occur to occur in, um, you know, a, a clinic environment mm-hmm. as agree. far as a kind of a special event type thing, which is <laughs> fine, but safely. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's great advice. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to cover? just to sort of help them along the way as they're making big decisions? I really think the most important um, thing to know is is really do your homework and really find a provider that you feel very comfortable with because you need to be able to communicate if you have any concerns. You, you just want to feel comfortable enough with your provider that you can actually um, be a team and, and mm. have best outcomes. Absolutely. That's great advice. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Chelsea. Of course. Thanks for talking me out of my fillers today. (laughs) (laughs) That's our show, everybody. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skechers. See you next week. Thanks for joining us.